This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends and feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, after a very tense council meeting, the city of Hamilton is trying to figure out how to best manage protests in their city forecourt. The G20 fast approaching. What can Donald Trump do to help free Canadian detainees in China? And Vice Admiral Mark Norman and the government have reached a settlement over his wrongful dismissal and charges that have been dropped. Will we ever know the details? It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. Tense night at council last night, shouting... Uh, from angry LGBTQ residents after some comments that were made. Here's uh, an exchange back and forth. Councillor Sam Arula and Mayor Fred Eisenberger and some shouting as well. We'll stop the council meeting. We will vacate the gallery for a moment. Council will. And uh, the, the gallery will be removed from council chambers and then we'll continue on. Apparently the our, truth uh, hurts these people, which you. is really a problem. So, everybody vacate. All right, let's bring in a city councillor, Brad Clark. Uh, he was there. He is with us. Uh, Brad, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. Uh, first of all, tell us what happened, your thoughts of last night and how uh, everything uh, unraveled. I was very pleased with the, the outcome, uh, the motion which I moved and, and Councillor Nan seconded, which was to direct staff to compile evidence uh, in preparation of a, a application for a court injunction to stop the individuals who are inciting hatred and violence out front of this, the forecourt of City Hall, that passed unanimously. And, and I thought, for the most part, the debate uh, went well. Um, unfortunately, some passions got in the way, and we, when that happens, some people forget to respect each other, and, and decorum kind of goes out the window. So how does City Council deal with this? Uh, you brought forth this motion. What are you hoping to accomplish? What's the objective here? Uh, the challenge that we've been having for a number of years is that there are individuals who are protesting in the forecourt of City Hall. Uh, that protest um, is protected under the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Uh, it's freedom of expression. But the freedom of expression is not an absolute right that's assigned to anyone. There are limits to it, and, and as a result, if uh, individuals are inciting violence or inciting hatred to any identifiable group and causing uh, harm to that group, uh, then uh, action can be taken. So criminal charges could be laid by the police if they could gather such evidence. But in the meantime, as a municipality, what we can do is gather that evidence from third parties, from the police, from our security cameras, whatever we can do to verify that these incidents uh, are happening and take that information to the court and apply for a, an injunction um, so that these individuals that are doing this um, would be prohibited from protesting in front of City Hall for a certain period of time. Uh, it's 
uh, seems to be about the only legal avenue that we, we have available to us. If we ban people outright, Scott, uh, we're going to lose in court. So it's a, a yeah. question of having that evidence to support our, our claim. And let's have a judge, uh, an impartial judge, make that decision as to whether or not an injunction is warranted. And I mean, the whole forecourt, the whole redesign, all of that was to be a gathering place, both positive and negative. Uh, that being said, many, many will say, Brad, the law is the law here. Why does the law, why do, why does municipal, does the municipality have to do something? Why does city council have to do something? Isn't this, this just an issue as to when the law is broken, then it is, is handled? If only it was that simple. <laughs> why isn't it, Brad? Ta- explain to us. <laughs> I guess we live in Canada. Um, so the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a sacrosanct law that it's a right for everybody. But when you read it and you look at court decisions, um, different court decisions have, have created some limitations to freedom of expression. So you can go so far with your freedom of expression. If you want to swear, if you want to have signs that have vulgarities on it, we can't stop that. That's the freedom of expression. It may be well and offensive to the entire community, but we can't legally stop that. Where they cross that line and they start to incite violence or hatred to identifiable groups, that's something that either the police, um, a crown attorney, or, or someone can actually step up and say, okay, enough is enough, this has to go to court. That hasn't happened yet. We're getting complaints from people who are trying to go to the market, move around in downtown Hamilton, and that they have to go through this crowd, and it's causing real problems and, and in some cases, irreparable harm to, to minority groups who are, are f- truly fearful for their lives when they're, when they're wa- walking in that area and they're avoiding that area. We as a city have to do something about that. We just can't sit by and do nothing. Um, lots of chatter uh, earlier on in the week about arrests that were made and the arrest of, of an individual that was involved in the situation on Lock Street. Other arrests have, fo- have, have followed that. Uh, many have in this community have accused the police and the city of not doing enough. What can you do when two sides clash on your doorstep? Well, the city... Uh, city council specifically, we cannot direct the police to do anything. So we need to make that very clear, that under the Police Services Act in Ontario, the police department has total control over their operational authority. We can bring concerns to the police, we can raise concerns to the police, and if they find reasonable and probable grounds to move forward on something, then they make that decision. Hence, the arrests that occurred, that didn't come from anything city council did, that was the police doing their own investigations and, and making those, those arrests and charges. And now it goes to court to see whether or not it would stick. So, uh, again, at the end of the day, well, well, I guess a lot will depend on, as you said, going this, all this evidence going to court and seeing uh, if it sticks. But obviously there have been arrests on both sides of this. Uh, as soon as the violence starts, isn't that when this becomes a lot more clear? Uh, that, that okay, was, you know, as soon as someone takes a swing at someone and someone swings back, then then there's an issue, no? It, it, uh, that's or, my understanding, and, and I know of situations where a fight has broken out and the police are present and they intervene and immediately lay charges. They don't wait for a complaint from, yeah. from the victim. And so, I mean, it was problematic for me to hear the, the police saying they need victims to come forward because there was very clear video evidence that was irrefutable that there was an assault. Right. And I just put my own And then police and police witnessed that. 
Correct. Yes. And I just put my own family in the situation. If this happened to my son, my daughter, my grandchildren, would I counsel them to come forward with a complaint against an assailant who's known to police, there's video evidence of the, the assault, uh, no charges have been laid, and it's very clear that the individual has uh, shown no control or remorse, and he has rage and hate. So what's the risk to that victim to come forward of being re-victimized by that same right. assailant? I couldn't in good conscience ever tell my children to do that, and I wouldn't expect anyone else to do that. So I, I expected that the police or the Crown Attorney would look at the video evidence and lay the charges accordingly. And your motion is about that, is, is more about gathering the information and being an active member on this, uh, in this discussion and supplying what you know, what you see, what happens on your doorsteps. Yeah, so the, the motion really, it, it addresses all of the issues of the Charter, and then what it does is it talks about individuals who have been regularly protesting in the City Hall and are alleged to have been inciting violence and alleged to have been spreading hate against an identifiable minority community. And that's right out of, of the charter. That's what a hate crime is. Right. And then we, as a council, directed city staff to gather evidence about those incidents right. and prepare an application for injunctive relief uh, through the courts. So ultimately, the judge will look at our evidence and will look at what's been going on and then make a determination should these individuals um, uh, be barred, in essence, from protesting for a period of time outside of City Hall. Uh, so, uh, wow. Uh, where do you think this is going? Well, I'm hopeful, um, that uh, with the motion being passed, that our staff will do their work, but I'm also hopeful that this motion is sending a very clear message to the broader community and to those who wish to protest. By all means, they have the right to protest. Just don't cross those lines where you're inciting hatred or violence against an identifiable minority group. There's no objection to anyone protesting in the forecourt. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. we have policies that allow it, Scott, yeah. without, without permit fees. Yeah. We allow this. We encourage civic engagement. Exactly. But crossing the line is where we have an issue, and people are getting hurt. And my biggest fear is if we don't um, put the brakes on this, that, that the violence is going to escalate, and, and it could be much more serious in the future. So, in other words, people that are just coming down there on a regular basis looking to spew hate and for a fight, looking to trigger something that will end up in what we saw. I'd suggest they stay home. Uh, um, is, 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 is this about Is this about one side? Is this about extremism? What is this about? Is it, are, are, we, are we missing the obvious here? Are we not calling someone out who we should call out, Brad? Uh, based on what has been happening for the last year and a half or so in front of the forecourt with these individuals, and it's the same individuals every Saturday, um, I think there's a real issue with, with what their message is. And if they tone down their message or change their message so that they are, in fact, compliant with the Charter, um, and not inciting violence or hatred, uh, then they're free to do that, that, that protest. Um, I think when other community groups decide that they're going to challenge them, and now you have two opposing viewpoints in the forecourt, yeah. it, 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 it's, it's really adding gas to, to the fire, and, and, and my bigger concern is that that's going to... Uh, result in confrontation. So I've never counseled anyone to come out and protest against the protesters. Yeah. Um, uh, people are free to protest. 
but I really would encourage that there isn't any confrontation. And now the police are involved and security is involved, so they're trying to keep the two sides uh, apart. Uh, at the end of the day, we need to have a much broader community conversation as to how we as a municipality move to be a caring and accepting community um, and respecting everyone's rights. And, and I think that's what all of these things are going to start happening. I think the mayor's conversations with the LGBTQ community um, and with a number of stakeholders and any other impacted community, for example, the Muslim associations, we should be involving them because they've been subject to this hatred. Let's get people all together and start working together to find the solutions and how we really do raise up the fact that Hamilton is not just a tolerant city, we're an accepting city, we're a caring city, um, and we respect everybody. Has this got to the point where every weekend it's the protesters versus the counter-protesters until something snaps and this happens? I mean, that's what we have here, isn't it, Brad? Um, It's possible, um, but I remain hopeful that uh, people are going to start to stay home if they if they know that there's a risk of them being charged or or centered out because of of what they're saying. I suspect that some of these folks are going to start to stay home. Uh, I don't think the confrontation actually helps situations. I have no problem with with communities um, uh, protesting or raising concerns in any number of fashions. Let's just not confront another group and 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 risk injury to to. You know, they're all our brothers and sisters. They're moms and dads. Like, why would we put anyone at that risk? Again, to me, to me, it's got to the point where it's just, you know, two sides of two, you know, two sides. And there's the protest, the counter protest, and everybody's they're extremists looking for a fight. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And and here's a forum that can that's allowed it to happen. And now it's 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 gotten out of control to where officials somehow have to clear it all up. And so let's not confuse the issue. Let's make sure that what we're talking about is those protesters, those individuals who have been inciting violence against minorities, have been inciting hate, those are the people that we're going to concentrate on as a municipality, and we're going to do our very best to, to rein that in. Um, and and let's not confront them. Let's move through this process and yeah. see how we can, can make it happen. So what happens this weekend? If I had a, the answer to that question, I honestly don't know, Scott. Yeah. I don't think anyone does. I, I know that there are some people who are talking about, again, a protesting, um, you know, in essence, celebrating a caring, accepting community for the city of Hamilton, and that's well and fine. But when they get start to hurl insults across the crowd, that's when we, we start to see problems, and, and I really hope that that doesn't happen. And you brought up another great point, too, Brad, is, you know, there, there's t- these two sides that are clashing, but at the other uh, on the other side, there's also the rest of Hamilton that's just trying to go about their d- daily business and, and use the city as they normally do on a weekend, who are also getting caught up in all of this. And that's my, my, my re- real concern that I've, I've witnessed that. So moms and dads, uh, grandmothers and grandfathers taking their grandchildren down to the market over to to Jackson Square walking through the forecourt are 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 being subjected to this type of hatred and and I, I th- that has to stop we have to allow our citizens and our citizens need to know that they can move around freely within our community without a threat of violence without a threat of confrontation without insults about um, um, their nationality or their faith or religion or their sexual orientation. We need to fix that. 
Well said. Brad Clark's been with the city councillor, city of Hamilton, talking about the ongoing protests and what it has erupted into over the weeks down at City Hall. Brad, thanks so much for the time. Good luck. Thank you, Scott. Take care. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. All right, uh, G20 Summit fast approaching uh, this weekend in Osaka, Japan. Lots of, uh, I think the the majority of the, uh, or, or on the agenda is the environment, but it seems that every leader will have their own personal agenda and has their own little sidebar discussion going on. Uh, whether it's uh, trade with China, whether it's uh, get, uh, detainees in uh, with China, whether uh, it's Brexit, who knows, Iran, uh, there's there's lots on the table. Uh, what does this all mean for Canada and our issues with China? Let's bring in a, uh, bring in Amy Karam. She is MBA International Global Competitive Strategy Consultant, Speaker, Author of The China Factor, Executive in Residence, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University, and is with us now. Amy, thank you so much for the time. Much appreciated. Pleasure. G20 Summit assembling uh, in Japan. Uh, yeah. Will this agenda be hijacked? I mean, where? what is the agenda? How, how do you think the, the news of the day is going to set the tone? I think what is really um, becoming more and more obvious to the world is that the G20 holds a lot more power than, say, what the G7 held uh, years or decades past. And, uh, yeah, you're asking about the hijacking and, and what's going on with U.S. and, and China trade wars and, and, of course, what's happening um, on the Canada side relative to China as well. And the obvious point is that China has a lot of power today and they're wielding it. And uh, the West, uh, U.S., Canada and other countries are trying to figure out, well, what do we do now? Because they play with a different rule book. Right. They showed up. Um, they have different rules. And why are we surprised? Why are we surprised by that now? Yeah, it's a good question. I ask, I ask myself that all the time. Because uh, it seems for the last several decades we've been, you know, cozying up there. You know, everything's China. Every opportunity's China. They're the goose that's laying mm-hmm. the golden egg. And now they're all of a sudden. Now it seems we're all of a sudden surprised that we're seeing uh, an opposite side or perhaps their true colors. We underestimated, I think. China and and how they would show up. Um, maybe some of us didn't do enough of the homework to, to understand that they don't necessarily sh- share the same values or the same principles or operating procedures or politics that we do. Right? They they have um, a very conservative regime regime right now, and um, they they have different values that they're they're playing by. Um, their their uh, government and private sector uh, in, intertwinedness, if you will, is is very tight, and so we're we're not used to that. Um, so we we thought, hey, they're really friendly. They could be a new par- trade partner. Uh, 1.4 billion uh, people. This would be a great market. Let's all be friends. Um, but I think what happened is, or what is happening is, yes. They have unfair trade practices. So President Trump is 
is uh, fair in saying that he doesn't like, right, they don't appreciate some of these IP protection infractions and um, market access limitations. Um, But at the same time, the bigger picture, if we were to step back, there's also a global competitiveness uh, issue or challenge that we're facing today. Um, if we if we look at 5G as as one of the um, one of the industries, right? In the telecom industry, um, we uh, U.S. and Canada failed to create um, a position or a play in 5G, and 5G has hmm. uh, very high security issues. And um, because we're not significant players there, we have little influence in how what the direction is. So that's part of the pullback. But there's, it's, it's really just a game of leverage. It's a power play. There's a power shift. Um, I don't think we anticipated or did enough about this power shift early days, and it's coming to a head now. Uh, fascinating. Is it too late? Now our economies are so interwound, as you mentioned. Uh, they, yeah. they have tremendous control over our economy. Is it too late? Where does this go? This is only going to, we're only going to see more of this, are we not? Are you talking about China having control over yes, our economy? Yes, yes. Um, well, I, I don't know that they have control over our economy. It seems um, everything we buy here is from there. If yeah. that was to change, my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd have to buy less cheap T-shirts. And uh, Is that where it's going? Is that what's going to happen, Amy? All of a sudden, ba-boom, uh, the North American manufacturing industry is going to fire up because we're all going to buy North American instead of having to put up with this? Is that where this goes? Or do we come up with some sort of agreement? Or do we slowly become more of a slave to them? No, we, we have to come to an agreement. So unfortunately, we cannot. Uh, North America is not set up to be a manufacturing center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have... So we can't go backwards. No. No, we can't. And, and so the whole protectionist approach is um, it's generally an effective uh, tool for short term uh, negotiations or uh, uh, posturing, let's say. Right. Protectionism. Uh, yeah. I, I understand where President Trump is going with that, mm-hmm. um, but it, 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 it doesn't it's not a sustainable long term play because we're even seeing this, right? So President Trump put Huawei on the entity list and said uh, no American companies can sell parts or components to Huawei. Um, and uh, that makes the American companies suffer. So now you have, you know, just in the last day or two, there's announcements that companies like Micron and Intel are trying to find loopholes yeah. in, in this and, and they're selling the chips anyway. So, you know, I think the tagline is capitalism Trump's protectionism at the end of the day. So mm. everybody wants to make money. Everybody wants to thrive. And we just had to figure out how everybody gets a piece of the pie in an equal and fair, you know, mutually beneficial way. Does China want a piece of, of the pie or do they want to control the pie? Mm, good question. And how much control do they have? How do we change those rules now that it feels that we're falling behind them, that they have more Mm -hmm. leverage? I mean, this apparently is their century. Um, Yes, yes and uh, yes and no. Uh, So we're not too far behind yet. We just have to start hustling and change our game a little bit. We've been a little bit comfortable let's say and um Mm. we need to start get our global you know our global competitiveness and innovation advantage uh rolling um 
and and I don't I don't I don't think that China's China's approach is not that sustainable, right? Like they they can't just um, keep bulldozing and then necessarily rule the world. But here's here's the crux of it: is they're moving from being known as the manufacturer and they want to move into being the innovators, right? They mm-hmm. don't want to be the underdog anymore. Yeah, yeah. And they're saying, right? So they they had the Made in China 2025. They're saying we're going to be uh, self-sufficient uh, in these top 10 industries. Um, so in other words, we're probably not going to need you as much, uh, you know, Western mm-hmm. countries. So thanks. Thanks for helping us grow. Um, but we're, we want to become smart, smart, smart and or smarter than you um, and and more competitive. So they're just building up. And, and this is this is what we should expect of other emerging countries as yeah, well. Right? Yeah, this yeah. is only the beginning. Like I see China as the model, but other emerging countries want to be significant players, too. They don't want to be underdogs. They don't want to just be a cheap labor pool source mm-hmm. for the rest of the world. They don't want to just make stuff for everyone else. Um, they want to, you know, be leaders as well. So that 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 power gap or, or that um, that advantage, that economic advantage is 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 closing. Right. So there's it's a more level playing field. And so, yeah, we, we all need to figure out how do we get along? How do we have more respectful um, rules? Um, and, and China isn't moving uh, as quickly as as the U.S. would like on, mm-hmm. on some of these um, these requests, and so that's why they're playing hardball back and forth. But it's it's got to come to a head, and we've we've got to figure out a, a, a more peaceful, um, in, interoperable solution. You talked about we have to change our game. Uh, we've been become too reliant on them. How do we change that game? Well, I think I think step one is awareness. Like, first of all, we, we really have to understand how China and other emerging entrants uh, do business. And they don't necessarily... And we were a bit uh, naive there. We had this peg differently. Yeah. We thought this would all end in a group hug. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. I think maybe China might have been thinking that for a while, too. But but we weren't... Uh, we just kind of jumped in with two feet, and we didn't really plan it out right well right we we didn't have a lot of contingencies and and our exporters need need to do that learning curve right and that's why i wrote the book and that's why i have these courses it's guys just be aware be aware that they do this you don't have to like what they do Mm -hmm. i'm not saying you have to accept it but you have to understand it you have to understand what you're up against right like Mm -hmm. uh, being from the private sector you have to understand who your competition is how they're going to play and then prepare yourself and so how do you change your game um, maybe you know. I think uh, there there needs to be a, a closer uh, closer tie with government, private sector in in terms of how we um, help each other out, mm. right? <clears throat> um, I think the other thing is, uh, you know, some of the tactics are financing. So Huawei and other Chinese companies grew by offering financing to emerging uh, customers, right? Emerging markets customers mm. because they can't afford it. Well, can we tap into some of the development banks? Mm and be more proactive in helping our customers. Um, you know, and, and can we do better at customer relationship management? Can we do better at longer-term thinking? Do we have, uh, as a country, a five-year plan or a 10-year plan like China does? Um, and even as companies, right? Uh, if you're going to go to China or some of these emerging countries, do you have a long-term investment plan versus being worried about the short-term uh, ROI? These are some of the small tactical 
um, considerations that we can do in order to be more prepared for addressing emerging markets, either as a competitor or as a, as a potential market for us to export to. You talked about, uh, I'm talking with uh, Amy Karam. Uh, she is author of The China Factor and uh, executive in residence Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. You talked about uh, learning and being prepared, understanding who it is we were we are dealing with. And, and again, mm-hmm. I, I thought that's what we'd been doing for the last several decades. What about China on this? Because China has spent all of this time and energy over the last several decades inter- interweaving itself into our economy, doing what it's mm-hmm. done to aggressively uh, uh, build itself and such, and now it's slapping everybody in the face uh, <laughs> a- a- as if, as if you know, uh, sorry, you were wrong. And, 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 like, do they understand the damage they are doing with the threats? And, and you know, I mean... How do you how do you expect the country to take the five G network when you're threatening threatening them with certain things if they don't? I mean that's just it seems that the, the 10, 20, 30, mm-hmm. 40 years of diplomacy have gone out the window. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's, uh, it's very curious uh, the aggressive tactics that they've taken, and and I don't know that. Uh, their companies really appreciate a lot of... Um, you have to wonder that. You have yeah. to wonder how the CEO of Huawei is like going, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is killing everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially what they built for the last couple of decades. So um, the the only answer that I have for that is that they have a very uh, conservative government that uh, takes things... Uh, personally, are a little too personally, Back more, a little bit too far. A bit more like the old days in China. Uh, if you want to, if you want to say that, <clears throat> if you want to say that, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm sure a lot of Chinese companies are not happy about what's happening as well, right? Because like I said earlier, everybody just wants to make a, yeah. make a dollar, right? They want to make some money and everybody's excited that the economy is booming and that we, we can um, trade with each other. Now, so, so really, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's in the hands of, of the government to, to, I don't know, step back, take a big picture and, and, and see how, how can they fold into some of the requests of the U.S. government and, um, and do it by saving faith. So this is a big part of it. Mm, yeah, um, you got to have a win. Of, you got to have a win. You got to look good. Yeah, yeah, you can't look bad on the home front, right? So uh, I call this cultural IQ, right? So we have to figure out, uh, you know, understanding how they they feel, how they behave, how they they react. Obviously, very extreme by taking our our uh, two um, two Michaels. Yeah. Um, and and say, wow, okay, so yeah, now we now we understand the whiplash of of when things go wrong and and unfortunately canada has been um i think an innocent uh byproduct Mm -hmm. of of the you know the fire right between the u.s and and china and um at the end of the day it comes down to leverage right It, it, it comes down to leverage who's got leverage and that's why they're playing hardball with canada right like that's why because there's not probably a lot of blood loss um with Canada, it, it's a very small. It's maybe one point three percent of their yeah. exports. Mm-hmm. It, it's not a big dent. Um, but what you were saying earlier is also, I, I think, a really shrewd point. Yes, they did really well to learn about how our systems work, integrating into our societies, and we need to do better at doing probably the same. Right? Their their student population is much higher coming here. 
and our student population going to China is much less. So in order for us, you know, Canadians and even Americans to move up the ladder, um, you know, putting the tensions aside, right, let's assume we get to a plateau of uh, semi-amicable interactions. We, as, as Western bodies, need to start learning more about how emerging markets work and what the opportunity is there. And we cannot sell the same way we sell here in emerging markets, right? It's, it's a different dynamic. I mean, I, I talk about this like one of my customers, when I, even when I was um, selling at Cisco, and uh, a minister of telecom from an African country said, you know, we were schmoozing them. We obviously had the best products. And this was years and years ago, right? So Huawei wasn't even as strong as it is now. Mm. And, and I said, hey, uh, you know, we've had some good meetings. Um, where are you leaning? And he goes, well, we're not really not supposed to tell you, but since we've developed a relationship, I'm going to say tell you that we're going with the Chinese. And I said, wow, okay, well, do you mind telling me why? And basically, they were nicer to us in, in that they spent a lot of time. Wow. Right? They invested in the country. Wow. They're around. They have bodies there. Yeah. Right? They, um, and they've got a longer-term view. And now look at China and Africa. Hmm. Right? Yep. They're there. Fascinating. And, and, yeah. So, but then, look, you can get into the debate of, of cost-benefit analysis. How much is this going to cost? Can, can we afford that? Can they afford that? Um, how does that impact capital markets? But a lot of their companies are not public either, right? A lot, you yeah. know, some are. But yeah. anyway, look, it's it's a it's a big debate. But um, but at the end of the day is yes, we we all have to, um, I guess, learn from the other side. Uh, in regard to the G20, uh, the meeting in Washington between the prime minister and the president, uh, the president leaning that he was going to say something in regard to the two Canadian detainees in China. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen mm-hmm. with that? We don't have too much time left, but can you touch on, is there anything that can be done? Uh, why are they picking on us instead of them? And, and where are we in the discussion between these two? Yeah, that that has to, that has to happen ASAP. Like, so President Trump has to respect that, that, comment that he's going to do all that he can to get the two Michaels out because I mean it, it really is the US's fault that we're in this problem like yeah. so if you even look at it strategically uh, they had the evidence um, on the on the Huawei CFO back in August 2018 they chose December right before the next round of, uh, of talks to, to pull that card and he's pulled that card with ZTE right he said to ZTE before that, um, you can't have the Qualcomm chips until you start behaving better. And uh, eventually they came to an agreement and he gave them the chips again. So if this is a, if this is a, a play, which it kind of looks like it is, um, he, he's, he's, President Trump is in the position um, to resolve that. And he, he really must resolve it on behalf of Canada or else Canada maybe starts playing hardball too. What is Canada's leverage with the U.S.? What is Canada's leverage uh, with China and Huawei? I yeah. mean, one of the pieces are it's our academics and our intellectual capital that has fueled Huawei's 5G technology, right? Can, can they use that somehow? But really, Canada has to um, pull out its cards with US, the U.S. And, and really make this a stopgap because um, for, for, for Canada to try to resolve it, it's, 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 it's beyond Canada's... Yeah. Um, right. We, we, we need to respect the rule of law. I get that. Um, and so it's, it's in the U.S.'s hands to to do this. And and the other the other, you know, ray of light is that this whole Huawei ban is not working 
for President Trump. His own companies are uh, are defying him, if yeah. you will, by finding loopholes in this. So, so it's expiring. This tactic is expiring. He probably realizes this, and I think I think he will. Um, well, I'm hoping he will. Um, you know, close the loop on this and, and move on with the bigger issues again. Amy Karam has been with us, global competitive strategy consultant, author of The China Factor, ex- executive in residence, Sprott School of Business, Carleton University. Fascinating discussion, Amy. Thank you for the time. Much appreciated. You're welcome. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. You might remember the case of Vice Admiral Mark Norman. Uh, They have reached a settlement, the government and Mark Norman's lawyers. Uh, And I wonder how much we'll know about that. Nothing. And uh, in this announcement or in the the announcement of the settlement, uh, also news that uh, Admiral Vice Admiral Mark Norman will be leaving the military. He will we will be retiring to talk more about all of this. Tim Powers is with us, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies. He is with us now. Tim, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. God, how are you? I'm doing well. And how are you, Tim? Well, I am just shocked. We're talking about Mark Norman. We're almost at the 24-hour mark since his settlement was announced. I think it was at 2.37 yesterday, mm. and we still don't know the details here in Ottawa, and this is the leakiest town in Canada. That's pretty amazing. So uh, so is this story dead then? I mean, is this gone the way of the SNC Jody Wilson-Raybould scandal? I don't think so. I think uh, I think there's a few elements to it. So first of all, the broader story and what was. Um, Let's talk about that. Can you give us a brief synopsis? What, in layman's terms, what happened here? Uh, Admiral Norman was basically was accused and, and charged with, uh, and I'm, this is not the precise charge, uh, but with leaking cabinet secrets. Uh, he uh, he then went through a two and a half year process of trying to uh, clear his name. There had been some preliminary um, court actions that had taken place. It involved uh, the, 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 discover, the discovery process, the court process involved uh, a lot of senior political and bureaucratic business leaders in Ottawa and around the country, many tied to the prime minister, all um, appearing in, in discovery processes or at the court, eventually the Crown decided to drop the charges against Norman because some new information came to light that the Crown belie- believed would uh, prevent them from getting a conviction. So uh, Mark Norman uh, was let, uh, the charges were dropped. Mark Norman had a press conference after that and spoke about uh, how he felt after all of this he said a few interesting things that may now not well one will that will not happen he had said he had hoped he would go back to the military that's not going to happen and he said uh, he was also going to give his side of the story at some point outside of the forms that he had been in based on the agreement that was reached yesterday between Mark Norman and the government, uh, it appears that that can't now happen because the uh, agreement uh, is now a confidentiality agreement, and I suspect some of the terms of that agreement would severely limit uh, him telling what he believed the perspective to be, and I suspect, though not stated, uh, that there was significant compensation provided to Admiral Norman for all of the undue hardship, and that's my term, uh, that he was subject to over the last two and a half years, basically his reputation, 
uh, being uh, being shot to pieces in the court of public opinion and his inability to serve on active duty, though he was being paid by the government of Canada at that time. How's that for a synopsis? So, but, and this is basically in regard to a shipbuilding contract, a refurb of a ship that was supposed to go through, and then for some reason the previous government was delaying that because, uh, uh, sorry, the new the, government, the new government so, was delaying that because the previous government had approved it, and that was the information that was getting leaked? Um, so the previous government had a, approved the building of, uh, uh, approved the contract to Levy Shipyards in yep. Quebec to build a supply ship, which was built on time, by the way, is now in service, I believe. Well, when the Liberal government took over in late 2015, they asked that the contract be reviewed. The suggestion, and again, I use that word uh, very carefully because it, it is not a suggestion, it's not being proven anywhere, was that the uh, certain leaders uh, within the Liberal cabinet were getting allegedly lobbied by the Irvings out of New Brunswick who wanted the contract reopened because they believe they could uh, offer a more competitive project. There has been lots, you've reported and others, about ties, both alleged and otherwise, to uh, to the Irvings, uh, the Irving Shipbuilding, and senior leaders in the, the Liberal government. Uh, so Norman did pass some information on uh, to different people, um, but people, uh, th- th- that has been recorded, but it was alleged, you know, he was breaching a, uh, a secrecy provision, right. which he was forbidden from breaching. So uh, it, will we eventually, through leaks in Ottawa, as you put it, uh, will we eventually find more details? Will we get a figure of how much he would have been paid? People were talking about Omar uh, Cotter. Yeah, you and I, when we talked when. about this before, suggested that it's hard to imagine, and again, I know some people find this an unseemly comparison, but it's not about uh, you know what Omar Cotter went through and what uh, and, and how that is comparable to Mark Norman, but it's the figure so Omar Cotter was paid $10 million for uh, the distress, again, my word, that he went through uh, in uh, in his circumstances. Uh, I mean, I've heard all sorts of numbers being thrown around uh, just in chatter overnight. So Cotter got $10 million. Some people were suggesting, you know, Norman right. might have gotten 15 or 25 Who knows? That's all Ottawa gossip. But there, there might be one way to find this, or a few ways to find this out. At some point, Scott, the money, uh, if there was money, and I have to believe there was, has to be recorded in some of the uh, public's and government's public accounting system. So does a wise reporter suddenly discover a new discretionary uh, amount for 10, 15, 20, whatever, what, what have you, million dollars that shows up uh, in the next set of public books that uh, that come out. So we might find out that way. Others may find out through, uh, through, uh, through other means. I, I can't imagine we won't eventually know what it is, but Mark Norman, I suspect, is prohibited under the terms of his confidentiality agreement from identifying the amount that he'd like to receive. Are you surprised that he has retired when this settlement was made? And we remember uh, Norman was in a press conference with his lawyer when they were told that the government would, you know, before the dust had even settled, the government was going to pay his legal bills uh, and give him his job back. Are you surprised after giving him his job back whether that he didn't go back there or do you think he wanted his position back and that's probably impossible? 
I'm not surprised. I think, yeah, you ended it. And when you get 10 million, you might as well retire, right? Well, but if you if you do, that's that's we're speculating. Listen, he's a he's a youngish man. He's in his early uh, to mid fifties. He's gone through two and a half taxing emotional years. Um, He wasn't likely going to be given full vice the role of full vice chief of the defense staff, and more problematically, I would think if it were you or me or any of your listeners. You're going to go back to work with the people who've been trying to put the screws to you for two yeah, years. Like, yeah, yeah. how is that a healthy work environment? Yeah. Uh, I think now, um, my view, uh, whatever compensation he got, he uh, he deserved. He can. He now has uh, has the ability to go and, and take leadership roles in in other businesses and boards of corporate directors. I think that will happen. I think after he had time to let the news that the charges were being dropped settle in, he probably reflected on it and said, you know what, time for me to to turn the page. And what was interesting in his statement yesterday, which I believe to be true, I've actually met Admiral Norman. I sat next to him one night at a dinner, found him to be a a truly engrossing and and, and interesting straight-up guy. Uh, He said, look, I will always be loyal to the military, and this is what my life has been. And I think that's true, and I think, as I say, he'll move into something else. Did this story case resonate with Canadians, say, like the Jody Wilson-Raybould SNC-Lavalin? No, I don't think so, because I think he had to have have followed it all all along, and it popped up and it popped down, and it was was in court all the way along. But, I, I mean, let's not suggest for a moment that the opposition, particularly the conservatives, aren't going to use elements of this story to go after the liberals on favoritism, cronyism, poor treatment of individuals, silencing of the admiral, all of that I suspect you will see pop up as they build the theme uh, that that this government, as their ads have said, isn't what was promised. Did the the liberals do a better job of this case than they did of the Jody Wilson-Raybould snc I guess that depends on the size of the check, Um, (laughs) how you look at it. Yeah, wow. Uh, Yeah, Um, I guess guess the check covers it. it. They've made it. Again, we haven't seen the agreement, but the way these things normally work is if you sign a confidentiality agreement, then you're legally compelled to follow it. And if you don't, you lose whatever the settlement was. So it's on on those grounds alone, whatever the cost, they have bought some degree of silence. I think the last thing the liberals wanted was Mark Norman popping up this summer or fall uh, as they head into the election campaign, as they've moved past for now, SNC-Lavalin speaking up and talking about, uh, from his perspective, potentially the shoddy treatment he had received and his view on some of the actions that he had seen and how that was, uh, you know, gave him a particular view of the government that may not have been flattening, flattery. So has uh, uh, the the political intensity, is, has, has everything subsided in regard to political interference with SNC-Lavalin and Jody Wilson-Raybould and now this? Have they managed to suppress this? Have they, will this, will this be an issue? Because I remember we, we talking yep. about this for months, that, uh, my goodness, this is going to derail them. And of course, now things have swung right around, uh, you, you know, with, with the premiers, conservative premiers being elected and, and the buddies with the Scheer and Ford, we thought, my goodness, 
this team's going to roll right over them now. And now we find the strategy uh, with what's been happening with Doug Ford in Ontario. Uh, Liberals now sort of driving a wedge between this team. Yep. Uh, how 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 has the how has the strategy changed? How has the outlook changed just in the last month or so? Well, the polls have certainly tightened for sure. Uh, most of them now from the major firms show a tightening of the race, uh, either tied or with the conservatives slightly ahead. And that's still not where Justin Trudeau wants to be, but it's a hell of a lot better position for him than he was uh, than, than the party was in two, three months ago. Um, as you say, the oxygen seems to have run out on SNC right now. That doesn't mean that the opposition won't try to prop it up during the election campaign or another shoe doesn't fall. So they're, they're in a better spot. Um, you're right. The conservatives, as I think it was Ipsos Reid, at Bold are having uh, brand recognition challenges because of Doug, the way Ontarians, certain Ontarians are looking at Doug Ford and Andrew Scheer having trouble separating them. Uh, I mean, it's still not the environment that Justin Trudeau would want because the, the playing field is much more competitive than he ever made it, uh, than he ever envisioned it being, and he made it that way. Uh, but yeah, they're probably a little happier. How does it change the strategy? Well, again, I think, as you're rightly describing, people are focusing on more what's in front of them now. So if, you know, the challenges with Mr. Ford, and we've seen another one today about uh, a, a, an appointment of a parent appointment of a junior cabinet minister's father and continues the story about patriotism. He's got to clean that up quick. Patronage and nepotism uh, and how that gets linked to the conservatives as opposed to the liberals. Yeah. And I think he does have to clean that up quick. I think he tried to after the second story about Mr. French and some yeah. of his relatives. But yeah, that's having an impact on the, on the federal conservatives for sure. And that's benefiting the liberals. Does Jody Wilson-Raybould have a bomb up her sleeve? <laughs> well, I, I think we've learned underestimate her at your peril. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I, I wouldn't care to prognosticate on whether she does or she doesn't. But she's in the reality, and we talked about this before. Her reality is if she's running as an independent uh, and she's not in the national news every night, uh, she either wants to get back into the national news so that helps her, or she needs to focus on just winning her BC riding. So. She's going to have to spend more time knocking on doors, I suspect, than uh, dropping bombs about the, uh, uh, the the liberal government as she sees it. Uh, really quickly, can't ask, can't let you go without talking about the G20, uh, the meeting in Washington between the prime minister and the president uh, earlier on in the week. Uh, the pri- uh, the president saying he was going to help out and uh, speak to China. I'm obviously paraphrasing this. Uh, nobody was really sure. Can what anyone the, paraphrase Donald Trump? Nobody Scott, was sure what that the, off. That'll be something. I, I thought it was interesting last night or the other night during the Democratic debate. He just tweeted out in capital letters, "Boring." Like, what the hell are you doing <laughs> watching this? Anyway, um, is Don? What 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 can happen at the G20 uh, in regard to Canada China relations? The two detainees. Can Donald Trump help help out here? Well, he is the American president, despite all of that, right? Uh, but you find yourself in this weird position where uh, Canadians, including this government, who've uh, sort of derided Donald Trump, are now turning to him for his help. Uh, and if he is successful here, how does that impact what the liberals do in the federal election campaign? Because they still need to make him a bit of an enemy. But yes, the American president can help. But my, oh, my, what a world we live in. <laughs> <laughs> Justin Trudeau has to contort himself to ask somebody like Donald Trump to help. And I guess the, the, the most fascinating part about all of this, Scott, at the meeting, Chan- 
Canada and China are sitting next to get, next to each other. Wow. I hope the Prime Minister is able to find a way to use that time to talk to the Chinese leader about addressing this. So how does China react after the President of the United States says, hey, stop picking on our friend here? Well, they, the Chinese are pretty uh, transactional as well. They're going to say, well, what do we get in return, right? I mean, it's always about that, whether you're the president or uh, uh, or, or working at a, at a store looking to buy something, what's, the, what, what's in it for me? So I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, I think what Canada has tried to do is, is, is been wise, which is to get a, uh, to shame the Chinese a little bit, if you can shame China, by having all of our allies line up. Uh, and it depends what Trump, how actually Trump does it. But, you know, there's got to be some trade-off. So what is the trade-off? Do they say, yeah, sure, we'll do this, Mr. President, but you stop the extradition? And Trump, of course, has suggested yeah. if he got a trade deal with China, he would do that. So watch over the next few weeks to see how effective that conversation was. Uh, we've known what's happened with these meetings before. What do you think we'll be talking about after this one? Well, this, I think, from a Canadian perspective, and yeah. also meat, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we have the story of... Uh, false uh, certificates yeah. going and the Chinese rejecting our meat. Uh, can that get resolved quickly? If if it doesn't, what what uh, what commodity is next? And this is where it gets real problematic for Justin Trudeau. He's going to have a lot of parts of the country, not just Western Canada and restricted parts of Quebec, pissed off if the Chinese continue to you know focus on different products that we export to China that they now no longer will take because that will hit the pockets of people, and they will be voting, and often angry voters aren't a friend of an incumbent government. Uh, can China and the U.S. come to a trade agreement? I, I think it's possible. Um, you know, uh, I think anybody can come to an agreement if they find out what their mutual interests are. But, but there, seems are to be su- there seems to be such an imbalance there that uh, how do you bring that together? Well, and particularly around Huawei. I mean, the Chinese seem to be pretty adamant about Huawei, right? Uh, they they are pushing it Huawei hard. Trump is re- is calling on us and, and other allies not to take Huawei. So what's the trade-off for Huawei? Where, where, or what is the Huawei distraction about? Maybe it's a better way of phrasing it. What do they really want? And they're shining our attention on Huawei, but what, what do they really want? Tim Powers has been with us, Vice Chairman Summa Strategies, has advised National Party leaders and Cabinet Ministers. Tim, as always, thank you so much for the uh, conversation. Much appreciated. Take care, Scott. Talk soon. You too. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.